Hi, everyone. I'm Charlotte Casimir. Hello, I'm Haley Wilcox. So we're kicking off our 11th season of Stern Chats with the amazing Bruce Daich. He is the VP of Animation at Netflix and also a Stern alum. Yeah, for this special episode, Stern Chats has partnered with EMSA, which is Stern's Entertainment, Media, and Sports Association, which I've been a part of for a few years. Absolutely love it. And here now are co-presidents to tell us a little bit more about the club. Hi, I'm Elaine. And I'm Jess. And we're the co-presidents of EMSA. EMSA, the Entertainment, Media, and Sports Association, is one of the largest professional clubs within NYU Stern's MBA program, with over 350 active members and thousands of alumni with careers in related industries. EMSA's goal is to support students committed to having successful careers in the entertainment, media, and sports industries. The club offers opportunities to build valuable relationships with other MBA students, alumni, and industry leaders through a variety of on-campus and off-campus programming. This programming includes organizing an annual entertainment-focused conference in partnership with Columbia University and multiple industry panels, networking nights, and internally-led workshops scheduled throughout the academic year. So Bruce has had an absolutely incredible journey. Before Netflix, he spent 22 years at DreamWorks Animation, where he started in the company's startup phase of DreamWorks SKG. Over the span of two decades at DreamWorks, Bruce has held positions such as the head of worldwide production operations and chief financial officer. And before DreamWorks, Bruce held positions at Hanna-Barbera Cartoons, CBS Television, and Merrill Lynch. Bruce is also a Sterny. He got his MBA from Stern and specialized in finance and marketing. And on top of that, he's also a performer and leads the board of Broadway Dreams Foundation, a nonprofit. And honestly, that's just a taste of Bruce's amazing bio. So let's jump in. I would love to say first, thank you so much, Bruce, for being here today. We're so excited to have you. How does it feel to be back at your alma mater doing a podcast? It's so great. It's fun. It brings me back to so many great memories. It's so many years ago, by the way. I feel like I'm quite old relative to the new folks coming in. But uh, nonetheless, it brings me back to just such a great time in my past that I'm, I'm really excited to do it. And I'm really excited. Again, my life motto at this point is, how do you actually pay it forward? So this is part of paying it forward. Well, you have been amazing just to briefly speak to in the pre-interview. So we are so excited to have you here. And we're just going to jump in, honestly. So one of the first things that we were thinking about is when you talk to people who work in entertainment, you tend to hear two recurring types. The first is someone who's always dreamed of working in the industry and committed outright. And then there's a second, the one who sort of ended up in it by chance and fell in love with it. What was your personal journey into the industry? Wow, I'm a stumbled upon. I did not wake up one day and said, that's it. In fact, my two older brothers were exactly the other type. One knew I want, he wanted to be a lawyer. One knew he wanted to be a dentist. I knew nothing. Each <laughs> job that I had was an exploration and I loved every version of it. And my parents kept saying to me, you need to pick a lane. And I, I, in defiance, I was like, well, why? Each one of those experiences was a learning for me. It was learning on what do I like? What am I good at? 
What don't I like? What am I not so good at? So I really stumbled upon it. My resume, half of you might say diverse, and the other half would say confused. <laughs> it's so interesting, too, how you were able to cover so many different areas in your career. For our listeners out there, we'd love to know, how did you start? How did you end up at Stern? And where did you go post-MBA? Yeah, so I graduated before my MBA and before starting my career. I went to SUNY Binghamton. I'm a New Yorker, so I went upstate. And although I was always a numbers-oriented person, so I'm a science-based person, uh, I also was a performer, so I was a singer. Uh, and I did uh, theater, things like that. So I definitely had some right brain, left brain. My very first job, I actually got flown for an interview from Binghamton to interview at Lord & Taylor. And I have to tell you, the fact that they were paying to fly me, I was like, this is amazing. Oh my God, I have to say yes. So I ended up saying yes to the job and I was in the buying program. Then I moved from there to being in Wall Street, where I was a stock broker at Merrill Lynch. And I worked there for a couple of years. And then I ended up moving to work in private banking at Republic National Bank. And that was really amazing because I got to work kind of working on the side of talent. It was my first kind of touch base with talent, even though I didn't deal directly. So some of the clients were like Madonna and Billy Joel and Bon Jovi as kind of the back office banker that set up accounts for them as they're doing their touring. But you know, each one of those, I loved so far the path, but nothing just felt like it was speaking to me in that regard. It wasn't the big win. So I decided at that point, it was probably time for me to go back to school and actually learn a little bit more about me and a little bit more about what I have to offer and what the world has to offer me in a little bit more of a formal setting. So I'm a New Yorker, so I'm working in New York. So I ended up going and applying to Stern, got in, and I ended up going full time at night. So during the day, I would actually do things like I worked at Triad Artists, a talent agency, and I would answer the phones and be in the mailroom. And I would also perform uh, during the day. And then at some point, I worked at Merrill Lynch. I left being a stockbroker, and then I worked on the trading floor in the South Tower. So I did that. And again, that starts at like six in the morning. So it worked very nicely, somebody that, has no, that doesn't care about sleep. It worked very nicely to get up really early in the morning and then go to school at night. So I ended up finishing my degree there, and I ended up double majoring. So I majored in marketing and finance, which is very at least at that point, it was very uncommon because those are the two majors that are the um, most required credits. But I actually loved it because I was just thinking, how do I actually leave school with more skills so that I can actually be a one-stop shop for somebody? You know, How do I come to the table with a whole bunch of different angles? So in that regard, I came to the table as a performer so now I'm like a little bit sales mini. I then did my degree in finance and now I understand how to, how to read and understand just the, the, the whole layout of the financials of companies. And then I was a marketing person. So I actually understood again, going back to the sales side, how do you actually you know, help people understand what they may not realize they need or want? So all of a sudden I felt like I brought to the table a bunch of different aspects where usually people come to the table more so with one lane. And then after graduating there, my first job after that was at CBS television. 
in New York at the Broadcast Center. And I did the the budget planning, finance job, budget planning for CBS, doing things like the Letterman show as they moved from NBC to, you know, where they are now or where they were then, sorry, not now anymore. Worked on As the as the World Turns, Eye to Eye with Connie Chung, the show with um, Dan Rather, so CBS News, things like that. Doing all the budget planning for them. They had Nagano, the Olympics at that point. And I decided at that point, I really wanted to change. I'm a smiler, like I smile all the time. And New York is a little intense. And in fact, I would, I would be suspect of like, why is he smiling? <laughs> it, it was a lot of smile for, the, for the, the city. So I decided to pick up and said, I really want to move to Los Angeles, where I just thought it would give me a new start. And I always had this itch of working in the entertainment space. I just didn't know in what capacity. Should I be in front of the camera? Should I be behind the camera? Should I be just back office support or whatnot? So I really went sight unseen, moved out there. And interestingly enough, CBS had offered to move me and to take a similar job. And I just thought I didn't want to do it because that job was not as appealing. And I just felt disingenuous by actually accepting their offer to move me when I didn't think that that was the end all. So I actually just quit and moved myself without a job. I was very fortunate at the time, my brother, my older brother, he actually moved a year earlier and he said, why don't you just come and live with me and I'll pay for all your living expenses. I'll upgrade to a two bedroom. So it made it so easy for me to just move and live effectively off of you know his job, which was just beyond generous. And it gave me the latitude to go find what I wanted. My very first job out there, I applied for a job at Hanna-Barbera Cartoons. There was a job for a business development person. So I go in. And by the way, because of my Wall Street background, I actually dress in a suit and a tie. And in fact, suspenders or braces. So I, I'm so out of, out of the LA element. I'm so New York trying to break into LA. I show up there, clearly dressed for a different type of job. And all I remember is meeting with the person who was uh, the hiring manager. And he said, he asked me a very blunt question saying, so tell me why, why do you think you'd be good for this job? And I said to him, I went into this detail of why. And what was bizarre is he was looking at me strangely as if I, I was confused. And he said, Bruce, listen, that all sounds great, but that's not this job that I'm talking about. And I said, no, I'm pretty certain. And of course, how embarrassing and how silly of me to actually counter his argument. I'm the interviewee. I'm the one that doesn't know anything. And I'm telling him that he's wrong. How cocky of me and inappropriate of me. And I was just so mortified, Ugh, mortified. So he said to me, this is, I like you. And therefore, I want to give you another chance. If you can sing the theme song to the Flintstones from beginning to end, I will actually start this interview again. And I said, okay. He brings in people to the room and I do it from soup to nuts. And he asks everybody to leave. He leaves. He comes back in the room. He reintroduces himself to me and he starts the interview again. Oh my gosh. And I ended up getting <laughs> the job. I got the job. And I was like the manager of business development for Hanna-Barbera Cartoons for a couple of years. So that was my first real job in Los Angeles. Well, and thank God you're a singer. <laughs> yeah, truly. One of the most 
incredible stories, you might be the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> I think everyone can relate to the showing up at the office in the wrong outfit. I know at last week tonight, we had a lot of people with a similar background come in in suits. And later, once they've gotten hired and worked there, just facepalm themselves. But in terms of, you know, moving your way through and kind of getting the knack of what you were doing, I think, Haley, you had a follow-up question there. Well, I'd love to know. I know there's so much more to this story. You don't end up at Hanna-Barbera Films. I know I butchered how I said that. But you go on to DreamWorks and being your own boss. So you're in L.A. right now. You just got this job by taking a big risk singing in front of your interviewer. And you also took a risk just going out without a job. Do you feel like what you gained at Stern, getting your MBA, did you feel like you were able to get to know yourself even better to take a risk? Because I feel like a lot of times a typical MBA is very calculated, but what led you to really push yourself to go into the unknown, but knowing that there would be a better outcome? Do you know what's so scary? I think back at my younger self and I'm like, how did I have the guts to actually pick up and move where my nearly my whole family was in New York. What was I thinking? And I do think that it was my learnings at Stern to actually believe in myself and believe that I could actually make a difference as long as I showed up with my authentic self, as long as I showed up as true Bruce and didn't try to be somebody else, which is all I've ever tried to be. I think where the cracks show is when you try to be the other person, when you try to be what they want you to be. People see through that, generally speaking. So I do think it gave me some fundamentals that gave me the confidence to say, I think I can do this. Now, was I 100% certain? Not a chance. Did I have something to fall back on? So number one, I had a pretty amazing degree. So in fact, I've had conversations with people and there was one meeting I had with somebody prior to the Hanna-Barbera and he point blank said to me, what are you doing here? You have more credentials than anybody in this office. And I actually just said to him, credentials are a great foundation, but practical experience actually takes those fundamentals and helps you learn how to apply it. And by the way, because I went to school at Stern at night, I got the benefit of actually going to school with a lot of folks who were working. So therefore, I got the benefit of understanding how to apply some of these fundamentals to everyday life. And I think that really helped me. For sure. And so would love to know, you just got this business development job and you have a more of a sense of your authentic self. So what happens next after Hanna-Barbera? At the time when Hanna-Barbera was there, Hanna-Barbera was owned by Turner which also owned Cartoon Network. And I was one of the people running a business that we had actually entered in to um, sponsor a car in NASCAR. And we had the Steve Grissom 29 car. And at the time, Time Warner, Warner Brothers came in and they wanted to buy Turner. And they ended up buying Turner. They asked me if I would actually move to Atlanta to run that business. And I didn't want to move to Atlanta. Now, fortunately, at the same moment, there was a recent advertisement posting announcement in the trades, the trades I'm talking about Variety and Hollywood Reporter at the time. And it was the first new studio in 50 years to form, DreamWorks SKG. And I just saw that and I said, I have to work there. I just have to work there. 
So I wrote a letter to Steven Spielberg introducing myself. And I eventually, not eventually, relatively soon, I got a form letter back, I'm sure from, I'm sure one of his many assistants at the time, I'm certain it wasn't from him. Uh, and they just said, we're putting together the business plan and stay tuned and we'll, you know, we'll be in touch. And eventually I got a phone call to come in for an interview and I got the job and I ended up getting me placed in animation, in the division of animation inside of DreamWorks SKG. So uh, luck was on my side. Somebody was looking out for me. I can't even imagine, but I was literally in the role that has now taken me 25 years down my path. So it was the beginning of really my, uh, my, my career. Yeah, and it's crazy it started with the letter. One thing that I've actually learned in life is there are always two ways that you can approach a question or a situation. Why yes or why no? Why should I go or why should I? If I invite you out for an evening event, you can actually say to yourself, why should I go or why shouldn't I go? And I actually have uh, two friends who are identical twins. And one of them lives life, life with the, why not? And the other one basically lives life, why should I? And I learned through some of that, that I want to live life, why not? I love that. So I figured like, you can't ever, you will never move on if you don't take chances in life. Mm -hmm. And I'm certainly not going to get the job if I don't put myself out there and try, it's like buying a lotto ticket. I can tell you with confidence, you're not gonna win lotto if you don't buy a ticket. <laughs> I can't tell you you win it if you buy a ticket, but I can tell you with certainty you won't win it if you don't buy a ticket. Well, this was that situation for me. They're just putting together the business plan. I guess I'm as good as anybody else and I was willing to do anything. Meaning, you want me to make photocopies even with my degree? I'm your photocopy person. <laughs> I didn't care. I had no pride about it. I just thought I want to be part of this new adventure and I'm willing to show you all of the things that I bring to the table. I almost felt like in my letter, I kind of introduced the notion of me wearing multiple hats. I have a marketing degree. I have a finance degree. I was a performer, you know, so all of these things that I thought would just say, I'm a well-rounded, educated individual who can actually wear many, many hats in a company that's in startup mode, that's probably going to be in need of people that can wear multiple hats. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. And someone who can wear many hats and connect the dots is inherently someone who is creative and innovative. And I, I can imagine that's what you want to have when you're just getting in the door somewhere um, or when they're starting up. And along that note, you spent more than 20 years at DreamWorks. You were one of the first employees. Just what was it like being so early on in the door there? Like, were there any projects or team dynamics that were tricky to navigate? Did they change over time? Just what was it like? Wow. Uh, you know, it was such an adventure. Everything had to be set up from scratch, everything. So there was no thing that you could go back to and copy and paste. There were tremendous people that were from, excuse me, from a couple of places like Disney like Paramount, because some of the executives came from those places, but they didn't actually bring with them any materials because they weren't allowed to. So we literally had to create every single thing from scratch. And I have to tell you, I worked so hard, so many hours, but it was out of pure love because you were doing something that was unbelievable and unprecedented. 
you know, the appetite was big or at least big for those standards. I now look back compared to what I'm doing now and I'm like, God, that appetite wasn't very big at all. (laughs) Everything is interesting when you look in hindsight, right? It was unbelievable. And it was also unbelievable because our leader, Jeffrey, he had such an unbelievable vision for what animation could and should be in his view. It was a little bit of the, I don't want to copy and paste Disney. I want to create a different version. I want to introduce animation to the masses in a different way. So what you might notice is, whereas the Disney movies are G-rated, the DreamWorks movies at that time, DreamWorks animated movies, were actually PG. It's kind of interesting. It like it took it a different way where it, it wanted to be more inclusive to a family audience rather than just a kid audience. So that was that was such an exciting time. We were just building everything from scratch. And I am by nature, I'm a builder. I love being a builder. I love being an entrepreneur. I love taking jobs that I'm not backfilling for someone else. The best jobs in life are the ones that actually are created new. That doesn't mean there aren't other fantastic jobs where you're backfilling something else, but the most exciting things is where you actually have a blank slate and you're just making up everything from the ground up. I like that. I thrive in that. You know, I want a, a, you know, a blank slate to basically draw on myself. And that's what we were all given at DreamWorks. And it was a tall order because we were actually compared to Disney for years. And, you know, Disney, they're the best, right? So you were definitely being compared to the pinnacle. And we all were just so hungry to go, you know, head to head. And none of us, you know, let go of that passion of saying, and we're going to, we're going to beat them. We're going to win. And again, I'm not sure how you define beat or win at that point, you know, but we just were all up to the, up to the task. Oh, I just have to tell you, Shrek was my favorite kids movie of growing up. Thank you so much for Shrek and everything that came after. I still use the metaphor of being an onion. Everyone does. (laughs) So, so funny story. So Shrek, we were working on three movies at the time, technically actually more than that, four. We were working on The Prince of Egypt, El Dorado. We were eventually working on Ants, and we were working on Shrek in development. Unfortunately, we couldn't figure out how, with what type of animation uh, style that we should make Shrek in. Stop motion, 2D, CG, whatever that, that is. So it was the, sh- the, the movie, the project, that actually just had so many false starts that nobody wanted to work on it, none. So when we took a picture, like a class picture, Prince of Egypt, everybody wanted to be in that picture. El Dorado was a smaller group, but everybody wanted to be there. And Shrek, nobody wanted to be in the picture. No. And we had to actually just beg people to just participate in the class photo, if you will. And of course, Shrek changed the trajectory of that company. So never count out, never underestimate, you know, those underdogs. Oh, yes. Like Fox Searchlight and Slumdog Millionaire, the un- their underdog that became their huge brand differentiator. Exactly. Yeah. We talk a lot about at school too, you know, how evaluating what gets greenlit, what's going to be a success is not just a science, not just an art. It's this combination of the two of them. And with someone with your background, I imagine that's the perfect fit because you have both this, you know, you can calculate all the models and do all of that, but you can also have this innate sense of I 
love this industry and this is what I think about it. I actually think even further, it's not even like a two-sided coin where it's the art and the science or things like that. I actually think of this business in a diamond. Hmm. I actually think there are so many more inputs than just two. Some of it is stories that you want to tell that may not be the most appealing and whatnot. Some may be an awards play. Yeah. So, you know, do you mean there, there's, there, there are a lot of facets that I think go into and should go into green lighting of a project. I agree too. And I think when you're thinking about what's the point of a movie or a TV show, it's to create an emotional resonance with someone. And then after that, that comes either the awards or the blockbusters or whatnot. And so where we are in this story of, of Bruce's great journey is you've gone to DreamWorks. You're one of the first employees. So what ha happens towards the end of your time at DreamWorks? What were your big takeaways? And how did you make your um, jump to Netflix? I know that you had a job. You were your own boss prior to Netflix as well. So, so you mentioned the fact that I was at DreamWorks for a long time. I was. I was there for about 22 years. Um, I had the better part of my adult career there, and I was beyond fortunate. I am beyond grateful for all of those people. Towards the end of those 22 years, Comcast came in, who is the owner of Universal, and actually bought DreamWorks. I actually was part of the group that stayed. And at that point, I just felt as if this might be my time to actually just do something else. I don't know what. But I just thought this is probably a great time to actually allow somebody else to make their mark on the next chapter. So I decided to leave. And at that point, I really wasn't interested, especially immediately in going into another job of that type. So I just thought, let me start a consulting company and let me see whether or not I could actually help with other folks who were startups or charities. How can I actually start to pay it forward? So I ended up doing a whole bunch of consulting work for various companies, most of which were all brand new startups that weren't even funded. And in addition, Riot Games had actually contacted me and they said, hey, could you actually help us? We're actually interested in taking our intellectual property. You know, one of their biggest claim to fame is League of Legend. And of League of Legend, they have 140 at the time champions, similar to like, I guess, Marvel characters, right? And I saw that as like, what a great opportunity, like Marvel, to take those characters and actually storytell around them and create great animation, whether it be film or series in the animated space and probably live action too. So they were so nice to actually invite me in as a consultant on helping to steer a little bit of their plan for the business plan. And we end up, and it's so funny, we ended up uh, working on the very first television show called Arcane based on two of their, two of their most popular uh, champions, uh, Jinx and Vi. And it was unbelievably fantastic. And the ironic part is when I was at the Riot side, one of the things that we're working on is the distribution plan. And I'm thinking, you know who would be a great buyer of this? Netflix. Great buyer. And fast forward to when I came to Netflix, Netflix ended up buying the rights to actually have it on service. And now we're actually have Arcane the show on our service mm -hmm. and it's incredibly popular it's great <laughs> it's wonderful and it just it shows uh you know it shows great success in there so a little bit of a round robin for me being on both sides of that equation but so going back to that so i spent about you know a year and a half working as a consultant and i was popping around doing some charity stuff 
Um, I was working with a group called Broadway Dreams that I was on the board for many, many years. And it's a musical theater, not for profit, which, you know, again, from my background, I was a performer and a singer. So it just felt like, wow, this is, this is a perfect fit for me. So I ended up doing that. And then during that time, Netflix and I were speaking about the potential of, you know, maybe I would actually come in and help with their big uh, appetite for animation. And eventually, uh, they actually asked if I would mind coming on board. And listen, my thought in my head is, I've already had the dream job of building, of helping to build and run animation for, for DreamWorks. So the notion of saying, that's a once in a lifetime thing, right? Nobody ever has lightning hit in a bottle twice. So the fact that this offer to actually do something not only equal, but far bigger, better, a, a better version of that, if you can call it that, I, I just couldn't possibly say no. It was like, who gets an opportunity to take all of my learnings and actually lean forward on the ones that were great and leave behind all the ones that didn't work? And also the business itself was evolving. So it's also, what's the new version of an animation studio and ecosystem and whatnot? You know, and also the notion of actually having animation inside or side by side with a tech company, there are no two businesses that rely and work together better than animation and technology, period, end of sentence. They are meant to live together. Definitely. I mean, I'm so interested in what you were saying, like lightning in a bottle. And were you ever afraid at any point, whether it was to leave DreamWorks or to pivot at any point in your career? Because you know, once sometimes once you have reached a goal, it's like, well, what next? What's what's next? And how do I do it? And how how did you kind of keep pushing yourself through all of that and remain hopeful, especially when this is an industry that changes so fast? Some of the jobs didn't exist years ago. Yeah, you ask about fear. I have to be honest, and I'll be transparent with you. Fear comes up all the time for me. I'm just as insecure as the other person, just because I had success there. I thought that maybe that was my success and now I'm done. So every one of those steps and moves and inquiries, I was panicked. I was like, am I ever going to actually get to that level of success anywhere else? Or was that circumstantial, both in terms of the timing and the people that allowed me to actually spread my wings? So I was terribly fearful. And in fact, when I did the consultancy, I went into like a dark space, to be honest, where I was panicked because I had never actually worked for myself before. I always collected a regular paycheck and all my DreamWorks career, it was under contract. So I actually knew that I had a runway of a certain period of time. And before the runway ended, I would actually get feedback from DreamWorks in the form of, we would like to extend your contract or put a new contract in front. That was the extent of feedback. So that gave me confidence that, okay, I, I live to tell another day. You know, I have another three years or something like that. But I have to tell you, I actually, it, it taught me all throughout this of how humble I need to constantly be and to not take things for granted and to realize that anything could actually end at any moment through many different circumstances. So I wanted to make sure that I was being very smart about every step I took and be grounded in the fact that this could all change in a moment's notice. Um, I actually learned a lot from leaving DreamWorks to now of uh, how to emotionally prepare myself for just another chapter, which I was not 
I was not poised to do. I had not, I not thought about DreamWorks ending ever. Now, again, that was silly. Everything has an end. And who, who in this day and age stays at a company for 22 plus years? That's quite unusual. But I did take it for granted so that when it finally ended, I was a little bit disbelief of like, what do I do? So to be honest, I actually went and found a career coach. I found an executive coach to actually help me look in the mirror and help me start to articulate to myself, who am I? What do I bring to the table? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I like to spend my time doing? Things like that. It took me a while to actually break apart you know, those pieces so I could better understand who I was at this point in my career. And that executive coach helped me a lot. I was not capable by myself at that point to actually pivot with any type of confidence. You know, the day that I left after 22 years, I said my goodbyes, I dressed up, so I was in a suit, and I drove to the beach. And I just sat there just watching the waves because it was such an emotional ending to an unbelievable chapter of my life, and I had no idea what was next. I can't even imagine. I was distraught the day I left last week tonight. I was there for years. I felt, and I was only there for three years. I can't imagine what this was like for you. It's almost like getting out of a massive relationship. Do you know that, do you know that when I left, the person who is still there has the head of production, the president of Universal uh, basically called her and just offered almost a little bit of like, condolences of like, I understand how difficult this is because Bruce and you have worked together so closely as almost like a huge loss, you, you know, work, work, husband, work, wife. It's true. He really appreciated. And I really respected the fact that he called that out because she and I spent more time together than either of us spent with our families. So it really was the relationship you're talking about, Charlotte, where just that was my family. That's exactly how I felt. Haley, I'm sure you've gone through similar things. Yeah. Well, when the like the Fox Disney merger hit, everybody in my office that day when we got the news was distraught, crying. Thank you so much, Bruce, for being transparent with us too and open because I feel like this is a side you don't always see with someone with a VP title. I think you are in this interview breaking a lot of like what you think of when you think of someone who works at a, a studio or, or when you just think of someone who's like the head of some unit. So thank you for being honest with all the emotions you went through. And I love the theme of self-discovery. So self-discovery while you're getting your MBA, self-discovery, leaving DreamWorks. And so what would you think, or what could you say to an MBA right now who's either starting it? Like, what are your big takeaways for anyone who either wants to work in finance, like the beginning of your career to a studio? Uh, you mentioned that you would do, you offered to do um, be, work in the mailroom too. Would love to just know your big takeaways. I'll tell you, um, number one, and you know, when they talk about somebody being a sponge, I 100% agree on take it all in, be the recipient of information, patterns, trends, personalities, take it all in and let it process. Don't actually just try to show up, be present in that. You know, when you're in a meeting, don't try to multitask, actually pay attention to the subject and the people you're talking to. Um, one of the things that, that I, um, I talk about when I hire people, even when I hire for my own support, I never want to be the person or my office to be the person that says, I don't know that, please call them. 
I want to be part of the solution such that I learn something from the process. So if somebody calls me and says, listen, can you tell me how we're handling something in another market? And I personally don't know the answer. I said, you know what? I actually don't know that. Hang on. Let me actually get this person on the phone and maybe we can actually talk about it together. Because if I just send that person to the other expert, what have I gained from it? Nothing. I just know that they got their answer, but I actually didn't learn anything from it. So I don't ever want my office to be the no and forward. I would rather just admit the fact that I don't know this, but you know what? I actually will find out who to, and then let's connect on it. You know, I would say as you're going through the career path, take it all in, actually make your ears much bigger and actually make your mouth a little bit smaller. You know, one of the things that I learned as the, the most incredible thing of, of a skill that a leader and a manager can actually have, or just a human to that matter, is listen more than you talk. You get so much more insight in life by listening and hearing. Many people just like to hear themselves speak. I mean, even in this interview, I feel like I'm speaking a lot, and yet I so want to shut up and listen to you folks. You know, I'm, I'm trying to steer conversation and give you insight, but I desperately want to be on the receiving end too. So this is kind of out of balance for me. I totally relate to that. I uh, frequently ask my therapist how she's doing, and that's a big no-no in therapy. <laughs> it's the same. But I love too what we learn in our first year at Stern in LIO is the power of listening. So being an active listener, but also when you're listening with someone that gives them the space to work through things. And so the biggest lesson I think is from your MBA all the way to later down your career, being present for people too, and being like being a value add. And we say that a lot, but what you're saying is being a value add by solving this, solving the problem together. Yes. Yes. And by the way, when somebody poses a question, I intentionally wait to respond because if I actually respond in a second, it almost gives the indication that I was not fully listening to the question. I had a pre-programmed answer. Whereas if you ask me a question, let me just think on that. Let me process the question because it actually acknowledges that I'm in this conversation and I'm hearing you and I'm not already equipped to answer it my way. I want to make sure that my answers actually answer your question versus just what I want to say. So make sure that you're, again, make sure that you're present with the people and that you're engaging in their conversation, not just your conversation. It almost goes back to what you said about being authentic because you can't really respond to someone in a genuine, authentic way if you're just trying to respond. Whereas if you're a sponge, you are taking it in so much that at some point you just have to burst out and ask the follow-up or say the thing that you meant to say. Um, that's such a good piece of advice. I was wondering, we're all going through, especially us in entertainment, you know, those feelings you talk about definitely could use a, an executive coach. Um, <laughs> what is just some advice you would give? There are some MBA students who come from other industries and want to pivot into entertainment but they might have finance or consulting backgrounds. And then there are the students who come from production, but they don't have finance or consulting. So what is the advice there and are they different for the two camps? 
My advice, I'll start with the advice, um, lose the ego. Uh, I've actually had many interviews where people felt as if because they have certain degree, because they had certain title before that they're entitled to and entitlement. There is no room for entitlement, probably anywhere. I can only speak to my career and my job. We're not entitled to anything. You know, the only thing I would hope that I'm given an opportunity is a chance. And I also think that, and it's an interesting pivot that I want to share, which is when people talk about giving folks a chance who may not be what on paper looks like the perfect candidate, there are two ways to look at that. You either say, I'm taking a risk on you, or I'm actually looking at your potential. This is an opportunity. Risk, when you describe it that way, feels like I'm already on guard for potential failure. It's already coming at it with a negative of, I need to actually put a backup plan in place. When you think about potential and opportunity, all of a sudden you're looking at how much you can raise this bar, raise the ceiling, how much you can actually grow north from this, right? So I think it's a little bit of a pivot. And I would actually encourage folks that actually come from either sides of those careers, just again, show up. We talked about it before authentically, show up being curious, show up that you're really interested in this and you're a hard worker. Show up what your attitude is because listen, people want to work with people that they enjoy. They just do. We spend so many hours working together. If the person doesn't have a good attitude, I just don't, as smart as they may be, I just don't want to have my life and all of my time spent with that type of energy. And that's just me. That's very personal to Bruce, but I, I like that a lot. So keep yourself grounded. Keep asking tons of questions. Find, find that person that you can use as your mentor, that you, you have this connection with, that you can really ask questions along the way. Balance it with being annoying you know, where you're asking too much. I think that's always a balance, right? I find that I have to balance that with mentors of mine of how much do I lean or not, or how do I give space? But, you know, none of us are doing this alone and none of us can do it alone. When I took the job that I'm at Netflix now, one of the things that I just made a, a, a mental note that I told the person hiring me is, if in fact you're hiring me because you think because of my success, that I will just be your silver bullet to fix everything. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not true. I actually come as a orchestra leader that leads amazing teams. So if you're asking me to come in to help actually build a team, then we can be successful. But if anybody thinks that it's just me, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you because I alone can't do it. I'm just, I just can't. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have all those expertise. You know, people talk about making sure that you hire people that are smarter than you. It's so true. You want to hire those people that are actually bringing something to the table that you actually don't feel like you have. That's where I say learning about yourself and looking in the mirror and understanding where your superpowers are and where your weaknesses are. That's where when I actually am building teams, let me just make sure that I'm clear on where I want partners around me to actually supplement where I know I just, I don't show up great there, but that's all has to do with just making sure that you're clear on who you are and what you bring and what you don't. And that's okay. Cause there is no such thing as perfection period. 
Oh, yeah. I think the idea of being self-aware and having such a deep view of yourself on the inside, you unlock so much more and you can see people for their true selves. And then you can put together this beautiful puzzle piece that's your team. Would love to know what are what's your leadership style like? You talk a lot about having like an audience-driven approach where you're focusing on like the people around you. Would you say like as a VP of animation at Netflix, do you have a specific style or like how do they know you're on the office? Well, the last two years have actually been quite difficult because, you know, we've all been working from home. And by the way, my style has evolved because Netflix in general has a style of, of just being an employee that has the most incredible values that when I first came here, I would have said, oh, please, that's just a memo over there. That's not how it shows up real. And yet it shows up real exactly that way. So when you talk about inclusive leadership, I mean, I have meetings with folks that English is not their first language. So the things that I've actually tried to unlearn from my past and learn with my future is how do I speak clearly, slowly? How do I leave slang behind? How do I just make sure that they are understanding me by asking more questions of them? Should I actually explain myself in different ways? So, you know, the inclusive leadership is really important to me, and it's really important that where I'm working with Netflix. Compassion, empathy, trusting your colleagues. Uh, I, I am not a micromanager. Uh, I have the most amazing people, and therefore let them be their amazing selves and be someone to help steer and make sure that you're helping so that you're looking further down the road for anybody that can't lift their head up. But how do you actually remain inspiring to them and a great cheerleader and a motivator? And I think that that's something that I, I hope that's something that I do well, something that I work on a lot of how am I motivating people? How am I checking in on people so that I'm not necessarily ignoring what's in front of me just because I've got an agenda? How do I make sure, again, to be present and understand what's happening right now with the people I'm speaking to, somebody going through a hard time. How do I make sure to bring the human element? I have to tell you in my early career at DreamWorks, I actually got some feedback that I was terrified about getting. And somebody said that I'm a great employee. However, I'm more of like a machine. And I just, I, I'm so driven to output that I never actually check in on the human side. I didn't know if my employees were married, had kids, how was your weekend? What'd you do this weekend? I thought that as a great employee, you were paying me to perform work 24-7 or whatever the number of hours that you care to work. But I forgot that who I'm dealing with are humans that have lives. And the minute that feedback was given to me, I had to change. Because by the way, I'm an incredibly sensitive individual. I actually cared. I didn't think it was appropriate. I didn't think that that was what should show up in my workplace, but yet I was proven wrong, which is absolutely want to show up as being human first and then a leader. But that's so amazing too, because I mean, I think we all in the industry are so afraid to step on toes or 
We just want to you know, start from the bottom. We're going to carry the coffee. We're going to haul the props. We'll do anything. But when you hear someone telling you, be a little more human, that must have felt so nice given that you're very good at it. I could start crying on this. I feel very heard and seen right now just listening to you. I mean, did that not feel natural to you? What's so interesting is I realized after that my behavior before was my inauthentic self. I felt like, and by the way, what's so fascinating is we had done one of those personality reviews where you talk about your natural and your adaptive state. And everybody did the same test. And you know, there's a margin of error between your adaptive and your natural state that's a relatively small amount, meaning you you don't you don't change who you are drastically when you go to the office, generally speaking. Mine was off the charts. Mine was so far from each other, and I cried. I was I fell apart because I actually said to the 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 moderator, I think I'm actually in the wrong job because you're effectively asking me. The job is asking me to be somebody that I'm not naturally. Therefore, I'm like contorting like a pretzel. And what's interesting is this person said back to me, you're thinking about as a negative, what if it's a superpower of yours where you're so capable of adapting to different environments? Now, again, that's a spin. That's really great. That gave me some good perspective. But after I had all this feedback, it gave me pause to say, who is the authentic Bruce? And the authentic Bruce actually cares a lot. The authentic Bruce is quite sensitive and quite compassionate and empathetic and wants to know about your weekend and your next vacation and how the kids are doing or how the parents are doing or the spouses, the partners or whatnot. But I didn't think it was appropriate. But I love to, again and again and again in this episode, we're talking about the authentic self and still the lessons you learn throughout the throughout your journey too. Before we wrap, we'd love to say first, thank you so much. We've learned a lot. I definitely feel more empowered to go go into the workforce, but also go speak to my family or go speak to my friends. And Shar and I would like to just ask you one fun question too. Um, what is your favorite TV show or movie? Uh, Best in Show is my favorite movie. And my favorite TV show, I think, is Schitt's Creek. Oh, the I best. I just will watch it over and over. In fact, I just watched Best in Show two nights ago. It was on. I can't ever not watch it. If I've watched it 50 times, it's still not enough. And Schitt's Creek, I will just watch over and over. I Those are my absolute favorites, and I can't get enough. These are phenomenal answers, a phenomenal interview. <laughs> like We cannot thank you enough for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's It's quite flattering to uh, be able to do this and to be able to connect back with my alma mater. Like I, I really haven't connected with folks in a long time. And this just gave me that, um, that grounding back to what helped me become the me that I am today. And, you know, I've got a lot to be grateful for and I don't take any day for granted. We're so grateful for you, Bruce. And we're so grateful for all the lessons you presented during this podcast. Thank you for your time. But moreover, thank you for being your authentic self here too. Haley, Haley, that was amazing. I love Bruce. I loved that episode. I loved recording it. 
I love oh. talking to him. I love talking to you. Like, thank you, Haley. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Shar. Thank you to the whole Stern Chats team. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as Charlotte and I did. Thank you so much to our listeners. We're so excited for you to keep on listening to Stern Chats. We will see you next week. And I hope everyone has an authentic day. Bye. Thank you.